gives me a great deal of pleasure. I'm very honored, too, to sit next to him to introduce the new head football coach at the University of Arizona, Kevin Sumlin. Kevin, congratulations. Thanks, Dave. The question now for U of A football fans, ASU football fans, college football fans in general, after this Bleacher Report article today, is how exactly did the university get from point A to point B when Kevin Sumlin was hired by the university based off of what was a very interesting story this morning written on BleacherReport.com. One tweet, ten words, quote, I didn't come to Arizona to run the triple option, close quote. That was Khalil Tate's tweet that the president of the University of Arizona, Dr. Robert Robbins, later said, I want our student athletes to have a voice. I want them to be disruptive problem solvers. So when Navy coach Ken Nui Matalolo's name popped up as a possible U of A candidate and maybe the likely U of A candidate, Khalil Tate tweeted out, I didn't come to Arizona to run the triple option. Shortly thereafter, Nui Matalolo was not a candidate to be the head coach of the University of Arizona. Hmm. Kevin Sumlin got the job. Now, Andy's standing by because I, 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 Andy Greenberg, I heard you on with Bickley and Murata, and I don't know how much of the credit you deserve for this or At you're getting for 1%. this, but it certainly is worth a mention. Tell your side of the story for our audience, the same side that you told on Bickley and Murata. So back in January, when this was all happening, AZ, at AZ Authority, Wildcat Authority, had put out an article about Nui Matalolo, and the style of offense that he ran at Navy. And I read through it, and I thought it was very interesting. And I tweeted, turning UA football into a triple option team would be fascinating with Khalil Tate, but would really hurt the possibility of recruiting offensive guys who want to play in the NFL. Could also inadvertently make a lot of offensive guys transfer. And Khalil Tate retweeted that tweet. And it was up on his page for a few minutes. Okay, And then he took it down, and very soon after, he wrote the, I didn't come to... U of A to run the triple option. So initially, he saw your tweet, retweeted yes. it, deleted your retweet, and then tweeted out the now infamous, I didn't come to Arizona to run the triple option. That is correct. Which, as you learn in this Bleacher Report story, the tweeting and then deleting of a tweet is like a power move by Khalil Tate. <laughs> I know, right? That's, that's, almost, that's almost the funniest part about it is, quote, I knew exactly what I was doing when I tweeted that out. I don't do Twitter. When I tweet something, I download the app, tweet, then delete the app from my phone. So when I tweet, it's important. All right. Quote. Here's another quote from Khalil Tate. I had to make sure I was heard, make sure the team was heard, because my teammates didn't want to run the triple option either. So the idea was to tweet it out, let it get traction, then delete it. I knew people were reading it would say, why did he delete it? But that just magnifies it even more. Yeah. The president of the school said, quote, I saw it and I thought, wow, man, the power of social media. And here's a president who basically acknowledges in the article that he he wants to empower the student athletes to be able to have a say in such things that he's, oh, OK, I got it. I heard you. Cool. Well, you know, we won't hire the triple option guy. We won't hire the Navy coach. I look. Nothing, I don't know if in the history of the world, Luke, anything will ever top 
how screwy history of the world, the history of the world. Okay, maybe maybe that's uh, well, no, I wouldn't maybe, where you're going. Maybe with that's this. a little bit of hyperbole. Okay, all right? maybe okay. I'm, I'm channeling my inner Gambo. Are and they maybe still that's doing a, the hyperbole this year? <laughs> they are. It's they're hosting it down in probably Tucson. Oh, okay. For all I know, the not hyperbole. if Khalil Tate doesn't want it. No, there. apparently not. Uh, he'll just tweet it out and win games on the field, not in the press conference. <laughs> Stop talking. I mean, that's really what came out of it for me. The hyperbole of Todd Graham. So maybe I'm engaging in a little bit of hyperbole here. (laughs) Otherwise known as hyperbole for the rest of the English-speaking world. (laughs) I didn't think anything could top how screwy ASU's search was for Herm Edwards. And this doesn't. No, it doesn't. This does not. But this is still odd, to say the least. Yeah, it is. We were talking... Pre-show, I mean, where they ultimately got was Kevin Sumlin, who is somebody I would have liked as 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 my school's head coach. I would have at least liked to have given that a try. Uh, so I, at the end of the day, I think U of A did pretty well for themselves. But it is sort of a slippery slope in college, letting your players dictate who your head coach is going to be because... At most, Khalil Tate's going to be there, what, two more years at most? At most, yep. And I know you can just... if. if 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 you don't like Kevin Sumlin and Khalil Tate leaves, you could fire Kevin Sumlin. But you're not gonna have any success if you're changing coaches every two or three years. No. So I I one hundred percent get the the mindset of, okay, well, this guy basically was our team last year in Khalil Tate. If he's not happy with this guy that we're going to hire, that could be an issue. But that's where it would end for me. I'm not hiring guys based on my who my college athletes want to bring in because they're at most they're going to be there four years. The really good ones are going to be there probably two. And you don't want to be switching coaches all the time. Yeah. Uh, Tate went on to say, I'm just very grateful that they allowed me to be a part of the process. Dr. Robbins and Dave Hickey. I consider them friends. We talk all the time. I want to win a championship here. To even be mentioned as a Heisman Trophy candidate is just crazy to me. Robbins went on to say, we need to do as much as we can to support the players. Uh, and, and look, you're right. It's... What went on at ASU, and it's not the craziest coaching search in the history of the world. It, well, fe- it, it fe- <laughs> I mean, let's go through all of them real quick. It felt like it in the moment. You know, I, I swear, nothing nothing to me, and I know I'm dating myself a little bit here. Okay. I don't know if anything locally, I can't speak globally or nationally, but locally, I don't know if anything will top the craziness of Wally Backman being the manager of the Diamondbacks for about 72 hours. Yeah, that was that, that was, was kind of that was kind of kooky. But I yeah, OK, that was, that, that was that was a little he's the manager. Oh, wait. Yeah, we didn't really do a thoroughly vetting background check on him on second thought. He's not. We're going to give it to Bob Melvin. I, but, I mean, it, but at the end it, of the day, he, he wasn't the manager, though, at the end of the day. I, I, I know. And in some ways that almost in some ways, mirrors what went on down at U of A. Now, they didn't name Nui Matalolo the coach, obviously, but it, it was, in the end, they got it right. They hired a good manager in Bob Melvin. He led them to the playoffs. He won a lot of games as manager of the Diamondbacks. In the end, it all worked out okay, and maybe that's the parallel to be drawn here. That, to me, was slightly more crazy than what went on at ASU, but only by the slightest margin locally, because that ASU coaching search was one of the craziest stories we've covered around here in a long, long time. That, that officially broke that it was like, okay, this is going to be Herm. Wasn't that like around 4.30 or 5 in the afternoon? You guys were doing your show, and I was in the newsroom preparing for the, the rundown, and I, it was just chaos when it, it happened. It was surreal. Because everybody thought it was a joke, and everybody thought it was a joke, and then, okay, well, they, they want to give Herm some love because he's Ray Anderson's buddy, so they're talking him up, maybe get him some publicity, whatever. And then all of a sudden, it was like Herm Edwards is going to be the next coach, and you would have thought the power went out in this building. Well, because when it became when it became official, 
I'm sorry, this turned into an ASU conversation. I don't know how it happened. Good. But when when that press release came out and ASU made it sound like they were literally reinventing the wheel when it came, to, that's when it got weird. Yeah. Okay, Herm Edwards in itself was a curious, interesting, eyebrow-raising choice. But then, oh, the the the, the grandeur and the this where this is the new model and this is how we're going to do it. That's where the whole thing just went dip, sideways. Like, okay, what do we do? We're not we're not we're not in Kansas anymore. We're in some very alternate reality kind of spot with ASU football, where they think literally they are treading where no man, where no person has gone before. Just wait till September and see how it goes. <laughs> the story hasn't even started yet there. <laughs> I know. So back to back to U of A. Um, I don't think a singular player should have. I, I'm glad that he's got a voice. It matters what he thinks. I, I, I get that. But boy, that is a dangerous precedent you're potentially setting. So what? The next great college player that comes through U of A, does he get a say? Well, is I, it up to him? I mean, he, before this story, I don't think anybody's shocked to hear that Khalil Tate had some input. We all saw the tweet, mm-hmm. and we all saw what happened. And, you know, you are, at that point, potentially taking the the strength away from your best player. I mean, you're at least changing the system he's running. So there is something to this. It's not just like, well, I don't like this guy. Um, but for the, the quotes that are in this story, for U of A to be celebrating that that's the way they're running the program, yes, I'm not saying that's wrong, that's their program, and it's certainly not my program, so sure. they can do whatever they want. It's almost like they're putting on a billboard, come to U of A, you'll have a say in who your yeah. coach is. I mean, they're celebrating it, and that and because of that, they are setting a precedent. If, if you're a Heisman Trophy winner, come to U of A, or candidate, come to U of A, you will have a say in who your coach is. Well, I don't is. think that'll be an issue again for a while. But <laughs> they got Khalil Tate. You, you seriously, you're incapable of going 90 seconds without getting a dig in at U of A, are well, you? Well, I mean, I'm I'm trying. They'll probably have a better season than ASU. I mean, just own, and that's who you are. Just own it. It's okay. It's it's. I'm, I'm a total. I'm not going to hide it. I don't I'm, think that's anything new. When it comes to local universities, I'm a mercenary. I don't I don't root for any of them. I I. How do you live? I, well, I went to all three. So I just. So let me ask you this. Then are you? Hmm, so are you just suffering the disappointment of all the schools? When they go out, like no, ASU is going to disappoint me this year. I, I, I'm I I root for any of them when it's convenient for me to root for them. So you might be onto something here. NAU is going to be a top twenty five playoff team this year. There you go. They get my vote this year. No, I'm being dead serious. If if ASU's in the Pac twelve championship football game and the winner goes to the Rose Bowl, I have no problem rooting for ASU. When U of A is a win away from going to the Final Four, I have no problem rooting for U of A. See, I, and I oh, and wow. I and I went to U of A and I went to NAU and I went to ASU. I, I I literally, to me, it's all good. Anything where any local team is advancing to a position of potential national prominence, it's good for business, and I root for it. See, when ASU is disappointing, I mean, I'm, I'm guessing U of A fans are like this as well. I then turn and I'm like, well, at least U of A is losing, so I can enjoy that. You <laughs> I know, don't, you don't mo- get that enjoyment. Mo- nope, I don't get that pleasure. I don't get, but I also don't suffer the disappointment when my alma mater leaves me hanging, lets me down. Mm, I do. Yeah, I know. I, I can I can tell. It's still the biggest question mark facing the Arizona Cardinals. How does their quarterback situation compare to the rest of the NFL? We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo Show with Luke Lipinski filling in. Mike Sando's annual exercise in which he, along with 50 anonymous NFL head coaches, personnel evaluators, general managers, scouts, etc., etc., put all the NFL quarterbacks into tiers. Tier 1 guy, tier 2 guys, tier 3 guys. 
If I were to say to Luke Lipinski filling in for Gambo today that Sam Bradford, the Cardinals' projected opening day starter, ranked number 28th out of 32 quarterbacks and was listed at the very bottom of Tier 3, would you have any problem with that whatsoever? Uh, Yeah, a little bit. That seems pretty low, doesn't it? I don't know. Um, that's well, that's let, low. First, okay. let's let's, let's look, look at who's at, below him. Okay, let's look at who's in the tier four guys, twenty nine through thirty two: Mitchell Trubisky, Josh McCown, Patrick Mahomes, AJ McCarron. Oh, this is clearly not a list written by uh, David Carr. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes like fourth. <laughs> well, didn't you know Patrick Mahomes is going to have forty two touchdown passes <laughs> with only five interceptions? Just ask David Carr on NFL.com. dot I'd be happy to tell you. Um, uh, and and with Mahomes, there's not a lot of data. With Trubisky, there's not a lot of data. Um, and then ahead, right ahead of Bradford is Ryan Tannehill at number twenty seven, Blake Bortles at number twenty six, Tyrod Taylor at number twenty five. So is it is it too harsh? Is it too is it too and the the write up and while you're thinking about that what he what he being Mike Sando the longtime NFL writer for ESPN.com uh, he wrote Bradford got more tier three votes than tier four votes and there was even a tier two in there but the obvious durability concerns were an overriding factor. One voter quote if it's seven on seven. He is a one every day of the week, but it's not seven on seven, so he is a three. And they point to the opener against New Orleans last year in which he played real well, but then he was hurt the next week, didn't play the rest of the season. Uh, his numbers, uh, they, they point out all of these teams that moved on from Sad Bradford since March of 2015. The Rams had him moved on. The Eagles had him moved on. The Vikings had him moved on. I don't know where to put him on a list like this. His durability concerns make it almost impossible to try to put him in context when it comes to a list like this. Yeah, and my initial reaction was when I first saw this list earlier today, 28, that's that's too low. It just I mean, when, when he plays, he's pretty good. So 28's too low. But when you start to look at the guys around him, I, I can't definitively tell you he's better than Ryan Tannehill. I can't definitively tell you he's better than who are some of the Tyrod Taylor. I mean, Blake Bortles. They were in the the AFC Championship last year. And I I would rather. I don't even know if I would say that. Actually, I'm gonna, I'm not not going to utter those words on the air. I'm just when you start to put it in the context of the players around him, it's not so insane. I like Andy Dalton's twenty two. Andy Dalton really hasn't been good for the last couple of years. No, no. Uh, when when he plays, and, and and we all knew what we were getting into when the Cardinals signed him to that contract. We we were setting ourselves up for a constant, nonstop news cycle of if he plays, when he plays, if he can stay healthy, how long can he stay healthy? I mean, that's there's there's no other way. I mean, fair or not, right or wrong, that's the only way to define Sam Bradford, right? But do you feel like this whole ranking is based on that? Because I hear what you're saying, but I feel like this is also oh, based no, there's, on there's what he does no, There's on the no field. question about it, because if I if I were to, to take that out of the equation, okay, yeah. which you can't do. No. But if I were to take that out of the equation and say, okay, let's, let's assume, as crazy as it sounds, let's assume Sam Bradford plays in 15 of the 16 games this year, okay? He is a hell of a lot better than Ryan Tannehill, Blake Bortles, Tyrod Taylor, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota. Now I start thinking Jameis Winston, Jared Goff, Dak Prescott, Eli Manning, somewhere in there 
is probably where I have. And now we're up to 16, 17, 18, 19. Uh, yeah, somewhere like in, another, somewhere in that, yeah, somewhere in that area is probably where I am slotting a healthy Sam Bradford if you're willing to make the assumption that he can stay healthy for 14 or 15 games out of the season. But I feel like when you make a list like this, I, I know with him specifically, it's silly to assume that. But if I'm making a list like this, I'm not, I'm not basing it just on that. I don't know that I would rather have Jameis Winston this year. He's got a ton of weapons. He doesn't seem to know what to do with them, and he can't stay out of trouble. Yeah. I mean, if you're telling me just for this year, you want Sam Bradford as your quarterback or Jameis Winston, well, Jameis Winston's already suspended. I don't have to imagine, like, well, what if Jameis gets suspended? I mean, it's, hey, it, what if Sam Bradford gets hurt? What if Jameis Winston gets suspended? It's about the same thing at this point. You know what? This, this actually calls to mind a conversation we had at the dinner table last night. All right? Okay. Uh, follow me on this one. Mission Impossible... Six is coming out this yes. weekend, right? Yeah. Okay, I'm really looking forward to it. I, I I really like the Mission Impossible franchises. My wife will not go see Mission Impossible with me. She will not. I will either go with my son or by myself. That's the, a hard stance to take. And, and the reason why, she can't stand Tom Cruise. Can't stand him. Thinks he's he's just a... A, a bag of squirrels, man. He's he's as crazy as a bag of cats, right? Is she wrong? <laughs> <laughs> but you're looking right past it. <laughs> okay. See, now she and and I'm not saying this is like a lack of intelligence or anything. This is just who she is. She cannot separate her perception of the person from the movies that he's in. What if he was the bad guy in the movie? Wouldn't matter. She she oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> She refuses. Was that from? Was that from Tropic Thunder? Was that what was that from? No, that's from the Scientology movie oh, documentary. Okay. He's a part of. Okay, oh, I couldn't, wow. I couldn't tell works. for sure. She cannot separate the person Tom Cruise from the parts that he play. Okay, I can. Okay, okay? I, I I know Tom Cruise is as crazy as a bag of cats, but I still like the Mission Impossible movies, and I will go. Sam Bradford's the same way. There are some. It's almost impossible to separate Sam Bradford, the quarterback. From Sam Bradford, the guy who always gets hurt. So any evaluation of Sam Bradford, the quarterback, is incomplete unless you factor in the, but he always gets hurt. He always gets hurt. You can never count on him. It's it's like my wife and Tom Cruise. that She just, she can't, she can't, you, it's hard to conduct an analysis of Sam Bradford, the football player, without factoring in the fact yeah. that he just can't play. It is he has to be the most difficult quarterback to evaluate because if you're going to go down that path and say you're only going to have him for three weeks anyway, mm-hmm. then he probably should be 32. Really, I mean, sure. Why? Why even put him at 28? That that's where if you're only going to get a game or two or three or four out of him, is he really better than Mitchell Trubisky? But is see, he really better than Josh McCown? I mean, it, it, it's I, I understand it's difficult. It's complicated. If I'm reading this list or if I'm compiling this list, I just want it based on when this guy's playing. When we go into Week One. Do I have the 28th best quarterback in the NFL, or do I really have like the 17th? But the the, the biggest thing with him, and, and the one that you just, I can't, that's the one injury thing I can't look past, is he played so well in week one last year, he wasn't hurt when he left the field, he didn't play again. That's tough to look past. It is, isn't it? Because he didn't appear to do anything to hurt himself in that game. Because you're never going to feel comfortable. Uh, no, you, because it's not... I mean, he could be walking across the street, and it and it might flare up again. We we just don't know. At best, he's the guy on your fantasy football team that you have to check at nine fifty five before the morning kickoffs every week, 
to make sure he's actually playing. <laughs> and hopefully he's not playing in the London game. So you don't have to wake up at 5.30. I know, you don't have to wake up at 5.30 to make sure he's going to play or not. Exactly. Everybody assumes the Diamondbacks will add something before the trade deadline, but has the attention on what that something is been focused in the wrong direction? We'll explain next on the Burns and Gambo Show. Sir Lavello was asked the question today by us when he was on for his weekly visit. Are you expecting any trades at all at any point in the next week? I am always optimistic. I'm not involved in the war room. I know the guys are upstairs right now pounding away at what they can do and what they want to do and what the plan is for today and what the plan is for tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now. So they, they see it from that level. The level that I see it as is right now, how are we going to win? What can we do to help? What's going to happen? And if, if there are some gaps, I give, I give my input and, and they fill it in from there. And the latest news on that front, John Morosi of Fox Sports and the MLB Network tweeted out earlier this morning the Diamondbacks, and Andy just mentioned this in his update a second ago, have shown interest in Rangers relievers Keone Kila and Jose LeClerc. There's no indication that the talks are serious, but the Rangers reportedly are open to moving Kila, who is controlled for the next couple of years. Really good numbers. LeClerc might be even harder to get from the Rangers. He's controlled for another four seasons. He's got a real good ERA, 2.06, a strikeout-to-walk ratio that's fantastic. Um, Relievers are, Luke, you know this, are the, the easiest commodity to add towards the trade deadline, but we're all still trying to figure out if the Diamondbacks do make a deal, what exactly is in their best interest to add? What do they need? I mean, we've been focusing on pitching so much since the Machado deal, but I I still don't know if that's where our focus should be with this baseball team. For me, it was once once Machado went to L.A., I was just kind of like, I don't want to hit her anymore. If I can't have Machado, I'm just going to be upset, and I'm going to pout, and I'm probably going to miss the playoffs. So, I just... You're being a baby about it. I I wasn't being being mature, I can tell you that. Okay, well, that's... Mature of you to admit that. Now, see, I'm, I'm making some progress in my <laughs> development. Are. It's therapy here. I'm going day. through all the stages. From two until six, it's yes. therapy here on the Burns and Gambo <laughs> show. That it is. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> some of us need therapy when the show is done, yeah, but sometimes know. on the air it's actual therapy, yes. Well, it's possible they still need a bat. I've just kind of gone away from that, and my thought was, okay, get starting pitching, and let's just forget that Manny Machado was ever available. Um, but... You look, depending what metric you want to use, I mean, ESPN has that story out there today that is, it's essentially looking at who's, it's, it's, uh, it's Dan Simborski who's, who's looking at how the, the rest of the season could project with these final 60 plus games for every team. And you you can look at that for all the different metrics that are in there. You can look at it any way you want, but specifically with the Diamondbacks, he points out that their offense is basically about as bad as it gets for a Major League Baseball team to make the playoffs. Yes. And that's probably the most simplified way I can put it for the yeah. purposes of this discussion. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't need to get into the it's it's sabermetrically sort of defined OPS and it's plus. OPS plus, which which is a number I look at every now and then, but again, it's a lot of minutia. And I don't want to bore people with that. What he's basically saying is that if you if you look back at the 430 teams that have made the playoffs going back basically 115 years, there are 430 playoff teams that are better offensively using that metric than this Arizona Diamondbacks so would be team would every be. team in baseball history that's made the playoffs. Basically, every team in baseball playoff history that has made the playoffs has had a better stat 
in that number than this Arizona Diamondbacks team would if they were to make the playoff. That alone suggests they need to add offense to this roster. Right? I mean, even if you don't believe in that particular stat, and you're like, okay, that stat's a little bit off. Okay, well, then maybe 380 of the teams in baseball history okay. were better offensively. But take the stat aside for a second. There's also kind of an eye test element to all this, right? Okay, if, if I say to you, what's the biggest problem with the Arizona Diamondbacks? Rotation, bullpen, offense. What are you going to tell me? Based off of the 101 games or so they've played so far this year, it's the what, what do your eyes tell you? Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely the offense. It It's the consistency or inconsistency of exactly. the offense. Exactly. I mean, the, the rotation, has it been as good as it was a year ago? No. We talked about that yesterday. Of course not. The bullpen, uh, is everybody down there perfect? No. Uh, I wouldn't expect them to be, but it, it there are certainly... Every team, every contender could add an arm or two in their bullpen, and it wouldn't be a bad thing. And they that, probably should. Right. Because you can do it. Because you can do it, and it's cheap, and it's easy, and, it, and it's something to do. But if we're really talking about what the problem is with the 2018 Arizona Diamondbacks, it is that wildly inconsistent offense. The question is, who do you replace? Well, and that, that's who, the thing. I mean, they're still they're 27th in baseball in hits. They're like mid middle of the pack now in, in terms of runs scored. But just in terms of hits, they are 27th in baseball, barely ahead of Baltimore. So there's your context. But to answer your question, who do you replace? I mean, this is one of the toughest things in sports, right? When you look and you say, okay, well, the guy that's not hitting is Jake Lamb. Mm-hmm. Are you going to replace Jake Lamb, though? Who, who are you going to get that you feel more confident in than Jake Lamb even though Jake Lamb's not getting the job done right now is it worth trading for it was worth trading for Manny Machado because you know he's better than Jake Lamb yeah is it worth trading for another guy that might be better than Lamb now but isn't better than Lamb when he's playing his best like why would you make that trade if you were to just look at numbers nothing but stats for the Arizona Diamondbacks just offensive production right there are in my mind Four players that distinctly stand out above the others offensively. Okay. Whoever's playing catcher. Okay. Nick Ahmed, Jake Lamb, Steven Souza. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those are the, if if you say we need to add a bat, and what defensive position does that bat play in? Right field, shortstop, third base, catcher. Okay. You're not going to. You're probably not going to replace Ahmed because of his defense. Okay, yeah. you could certainly, um, but man, he's so valuable there, and he's actually hit decent this year for Nick Ahmed. Catcher is a glaring position, but as we've talked about all day, boy, Jeff Mathis is awfully, awfully invaluable when it comes to how he handles Zach Greinke and how he handles Patrick Corbin. Now, how often would that? acquisition play because you want to roll Mathis out there. So if you rule those two guys out because of their defensive contributions, you're talking about Steven Souza or Jake Lamb. And see with catcher, a right fielder or a third baseman. I think I think we view catcher as a as a glaring weakness offensively. I don't think the Diamondbacks necessarily are concerned right. with that. But I think yes, right field, shortstop and third. And I, I think they look at it and they say Steven is gonna be fine. Now we've got him, he's healthy. That's our guy. So then you look at shortstop and third, and this is why we're all going to get irritated again. Because oh, yeah. Manny Machado is the perfect guy you bring in. 
He plays for Jake Lamb when you're facing lefties. Yep. He plays for Nick Ahmed on the other days. We had Lavello on, as I mentioned earlier, and it, they want to see a more consistent approach from Steven Souza. We don't need him to hit 45 home runs in those 60 at-bats. We just need him to have a good approach. We need to have him the to, to have the same consistent approach, you know, seeing pitches, hitting the pitch that he's looking for, using all fields, and playing the quality defense that he has. And if he does that, we're going to be just fine. Does he have a second-half message for Souza? Not trying to play catch-up, not trying to hit 45 home runs and, and 65 at-bats, because that's impossible. He had a tremendous year last year. We know that uh, he had 30 home runs. Uh, he had close to 80 RBIs and was a force in, in, a, in a Tampa Bay lineup. And we felt like coming over here in a very, very good offensive environment with a lot of uh, offensive catalysts that those numbers numbers would spike. But unfortunately, he got hurt. He got hurt trying to be a playmaker, got banged up a couple times on his return. So we talked about a healthy second half and not trying to do too much. It's funny when you look at numbers, you can see something that you'd never really seen before. I just re-ranked the Diamondbacks roster in, in order of runs batted in. Okay. Nick Ahmed is third on the team and runs batted in this year. By his standards, he's not hitting that poorly. This 233 year. with 12 homers, 44 RBIs, and 20 doubles with an OPS of 719. But that's by the, his standards. That's the, the position that they're stuck in. Are you really going to go out and get a shortstop to replace Nick Ahmed full time? If you're going to go out and trade for somebody, you're 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 bringing him in to play to play so he can hit because you don't have any. You're having a hard time, right? So do you really want to? You don't want to platoon somebody with no. Nick Ahmed unless it was like a Manny Machado that's situation. The thing. Machado, you could platoon with him. You yeah. could platoon with Jake Lamb. The Diamondbacks needed him more than the Dodgers. Did. For what it's worth, uh, Ken Rosenthal tweeted out today. He retweeted something from Jim Bowden. Uh, the former Reds general manager for many years ago, that the Astros and the Yankees were in the lead for Zach Britton. Ken Rosenthal retweeted that and said, I'm hearing similar things, but also with the Red Sox and the Brewers involved. Somebody else had mentioned, I can't remember who, that it's almost down to kind of like four teams for Zach Britton and the Arizona Diamondbacks were not one of the four teams that were listed. I do think, though, that you you can still go out, like you said, relievers are are available, and you can get a, a good reliever, on the cheap, as yep. long as you're as long as you're intelligent about it, and you identify specifically what you need. Zach Britton's a name, but I'm sure there's a guy out there that the Diamondbacks like. You won't have to give up that much for. For the first time in five years, he will not be leading training camp. So now, from the outside looking in, what does Bruce Arians think about the 2018 Arizona Cardinals? We'll talk about that coming up next on the Burns and Gambo Show with Luke Lipinski filling in. I never really thought of it way, this way until just now. When week one of the NFL season rolls around, the game that we're all going to be the most interested in here around town is obviously going to be the Cardinals and Washington, right? Yeah. The second most interesting game will be the one that Bruce Arians calls for CBS. Yes. Right? Absolutely. Yes. That will be, if you've got the package from DirecTV, right, the Sunday ticket, that will be the the second most engaging, interesting, must-watch game of week one. Whatever game Bruce Arians is assigned to. Definitely. Can't wait to see how he does. Because you know what? I, I Luke Lipinski filling in for Gambo today, by the way. It, it, I almost have a feeling that it's going to be, and I mean this with all due respect to B.A., it's going to be a little tough sledding at first for B.A. Because he's just so accustomed to being unfiltered. Yeah. And when he has to filter himself... I think he's going to be real cautious and real careful until he gets the hang of it. I see. I, I think it would be like if if I was sent to Spain to call a hockey game. Okay. I don't speak Spanish. 
So like Bruce Arians, like 50% of his vocabulary he can't say on the air. So he's basically really limited early on, and he's going to have to adjust. 50%? Give or take. Boy, that's a, that's a very generous allocation on your part. 50%? Man. That's a lot, uh, but you've I, heard him talk every other word. I, that's fifty percent. I, I have, yeah. It's it's it is, uh, and that's uh, listening to him this morning with Doug and Wolf, and I we always enjoy hearing Bruce. Obviously, he all he has a special place for all of us, uh, Cardinal fan or not. I mean, just what he was in this valley and what he meant to that organization. But listening to him this morning with Doug and Wolf, I thought to myself, I, I think it's going to take him a few games to kind of get the hang of the fact that there is there is a microphone now in front of your face, and into that microphone you are not allowed to say that word or that word or that word or that word in combination with that word <laughs> or those three words in combination with each other. It's just not it's, You can't do it. If it's like B.A., rank your top 25 favorite words to say. <laughs> those, that's not even 50%. He's probably allowed to say about three of those. Exactly. The, the network sensor is like, no, 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 maybe. No, no, no. Yeah. So it's, it's How I think, stressful would it be to, to be the producer that first week. Oh, yeah, I'd be. Just your finger on the dump button for four hours. <laughs> the, whole, the whole time. Just the whole time. Just you, you're in charge of that button right there. That's your only job today is that button right there. You got nothing else to do today. That's it. It's, it's you want me to run stats? No. Oh. I want you to have your finger on that button. You're the button guy. It's going to be like Anchorman. <laughs> That's it. Ron Burgundy says what he says at the end of the newscast, and the producer just goes, oh. I can't wait to I do I can't wait to see what game he's going to call and I can't wait to watch it just to see how he, how he does. Uh, when he was on this morning with Doug and Wolf, he talked about uh, camp and not being there for I really it. Couldn't feel any better, to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm driving over to Augusta to play golf today, and uh, <laughs> I, I'm not missing training camp. Seriously, he's driving over to Augusta to play golf. He does miss the players. Oh, no, the guys! I miss the players, the coaches. You know, the spring when you're putting that team together and watching it grow and and see it come to fruition during the season. Um, obviously, the the topic of Sam Bradford came up. Well, I don't think there's anything you can do. I mean, it's just it's luck of the draw. You know, I I think back when Carson got his ACL, nobody touched him. You know, he was just sliding up in the pocket, a drill he did every single day, and in the game, he blew it out of his ACL. So a lot of it's luck. What is the thing that you're the most interested in when it comes to Cardinals camp when it starts on Saturday? Well, I mean, it, it's it's still quarterback play. It has to be, right? Is just that whole competition there because that you, we don't know, I don't think, we don't know for sure who the starter is yet. Probably it's Bradford, but... You know, if he goes out there and looks terrible, then it's not Bradford. I don't think he will look terrible, but it's got to be quarterback. Uh, I I am still interested, as I seem to be every year, and it hasn't gotten resolved, as to what the cornerback spot opposite Patrick Peterson looks like. Mm -hmm. Those are the main two for me. Um. Well, I mean, the quarterback thing. Yeah, I mean, that's always when you when you're going into a year like the Cardinals are quarterback will tend to trump everything else and and I think more than anything it'll it'll not be so much the performance of Sam Bradford it'll just be more is he physically capable is he physically able to play the position see, of quarterback see, in the I, NFL I'm looking at it differently I want to see if if the pressure from a rookie even even though Rosen hasn't done anything yet actually in training camp but mm-hmm. just the hype around him I want to see how Bradford responds to that 
if that makes him into a better, like Alex Smith last year, they draft Patrick Mahomes, and Alex Smith probably had the best year of his career, but we've seen guys in the past, we've seen Sam Bradford in the past, when you draft a rookie really high in the draft, he just kind of checks out. Yeah, I don't think he will now, but I want to see how he responds. For B.A., when he was on with Doug and Wolf today, he, what was he most interested in? What will he be most interested in from the outside looking in? I'd be most interested in the offensive line. Um, you know, they've got some quality guys, how fast they can gel and, and protect Sam, but also give David Johnson the running uh, lanes that he needs. I'd also be interested in seeing how much David Johnson is being used as a receiver. Yeah, you know, and that was something that Dave Pash, the voice of the Cardinals, said when he was on yesterday with Doug and Wolf. He, he thinks that Mike McCoy, and, and it's funny, we think of B.A. As, as this offensive innovator, and certainly he was, but the impression I got from Dave listening to him yesterday with Doug and Wolf is that Mike McCoy is going to be even more innovative when it comes to how they use David Johnson. And B.A. kind of hinted at that a little bit, like they might really expand the playbook and kind of almost expand their minds with how exactly David Johnson can be used on a football field. Yeah. Yeah. I think Mike McCoy, this goes back to what we were talking about yesterday, where you, you look at, at the outside predictions of the Arizona Cardinals, whether it's Vegas or whether it's people having them 27th or 28th or whatever in their power rankings. I think Mike McCoy is is a major piece that's just being overlooked. And, you know, it, it's like, if you think the Cardinals are going to be terrible, you're assuming Steve Wilkes comes in and isn't good his first year. There's just too many growing pains or whatever. And mm-hmm. we've seen in the past that that's not always the case. We saw it with the Rams last year. But I also think that if you have the Cardinals as being a very bad team, you're forgetting the fact that Mike McCoy's had a lot of success in this league and the role he's going to be in with the yeah. Arizona Cardinals. Yeah, he has. And, and he's got... In some ways, there is a deficiency of toys to play with for Mike McCoy. I mean, the, the wide receiver spot is very uncertain. We don't know you know, who is going to step up, who's going to be the number two guy, who's going to be the number three guy. But with the versatility of David Johnson, with the inside-outside possibility of Larry Fitzgerald, with a very smart quarterback in Sam Bradford, with a very smart quarterback in Josh Rosen, as long as that offensive line can give those guys the time they need to do what they need to do, it does suggest that, that Mike McCoy's got some toys that he can play with every single Sunday in terms of how he designs this thing. And, and that a lot of that stems from David Johnson and just a, a versatility that very few players in this league offer like the way he does. Yeah. I, Mike McCoy is why I think they're going to be okay at quarterback this year. The, the defense is why I think they're going to win games. But Mike McCoy is why I think for as long as Bradford's out there, you're going to be in games. If you have to go to Glennon or Rosen, I think I think they'll be fine with Glennon if they have to, and I think they could really get something out of Rosen. A lot of that's because Mike McCoy is yeah. there. Of course, the Robert Kamdichie question was asked of B.A. No, I don't think there's any doubt. He, you know, he was coming on. Every time he started coming on the last two years, he got that ankle injured. and uh, But he's the sky's the limit for him, and uh, he loves to play the game. I like the way he plays the game. Uh, he practiced hard, never had a question about his practice habits. And uh, and I think he'll flourish in a 4-3 defense. We will see when it comes to Robert Kamdichie. Yeah, I'm not I'm not holding my breath on that one. I'm not I'm not done with him and I do think this switch uh, how, how about this? If anything's going to help him and jumpstart his career, it's this switch with Steve Wilkes and this new defense. I'd buy that. I'd buy that. And, and but that also gives it sort of a this or else sort of good, feel though. to it, don't, right? Don't string me along. I'm going to know by the end of this yeah, year. Yeah, by the end of the year, I'll, I'll, I'll know whether you're going to contribute to this or not because yep. we won't, we're not, I promise you, we're not going to be having the same conversation about Robert Kamdichie next year. He's either going to be in or out.
Yep. It's either going to be a yay or a nay when it comes to Robert Kamdichie. No more debating it, no more discussing it. I'd rather have my answer than just be in the middle. Yeah, it's the last half-day club of the season with the Diamondbacks and all of your favorite Arizona sports hosts on August 8th. Get lower-level day game tickets for only $9.87. The D-backs take on the Phillies. We broadcast live from Chase Field. Text the word HALF to 620-620, and then we'll send you that link so you can get your half-day club tickets for only $9.87. Again, text the word HALF to 620-620. When we come back, we're going to hit the 4 o'clock reset and get you caught up on all the top stories of the day, and that includes the running back market being reset today. How does that impact David Johnson? We'll talk about that next on the Burns and Gambo 